scripture tonight, the book of Genesis, chapter number 32. Uh, so, Lord, begin to deal with my heart last night on these passages of scripture. Very familiar. Uh, I was talking to Brother Eddie about church. And, uh, I tell you, if you've not been listening to him this week at Brother Brian's, I told him, I said, man, you've been preaching like a madman with your coattail on fire. Uh, because he has been absolutely preaching as good as have I have ever heard him. And I've heard him preach great for, for many years. But uh, God's been blessing him there with a great camp meeting. And uh, I was talking to him today and told him where I was going to take my text from. He said, you preaching on Jacob tonight? I said, yes, sir. And uh, he said, I love preaching on Jacob. And I said, I do too. And uh, when I first came to Bible Way, um, I couldn't preach myself out of a wet paper bag and I still pretty much can't unless somebody tears it for me to let me get out but uh, at the time I, I didn't have a whole lot of uh, preaching material uh, I preached on Jacob I don't know how many times over and over again I wore Jacob out <laughs> but uh, the good thing about the word of God is you never can wear it out because even though we preach on this passage many times last night he showed me um, new insight to this verse and I am thankful amen for that Genesis 32 going to begin our reading with verse number 22 and it reads as this and he rose up that night and took his two wives and his two women servants and his eleven sons and he passed over the four Jabbok and he took them and sent them over the brook and sent over that he had, and Jacob was left alone. And there wrestled a man with him unto the breaking of the day. And when he saw that he prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of his thigh, and the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, Let me go, for the day breaketh. And he said, I will not let thee go, except thou bless me. And he said unto him, What is thy name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, Thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel. For as a prince hast thou power with God and with men, and hast prevailed. I want to preach that the Lord to help us on this thought for a few moments tonight on laying a hold of God. Laying hold of God. If you will, stretch forth your hands this way and ask God to help us and anoint us tonight. Father, we love you. We are so thankful for your spirit. Thank you, Lord, for your holiness, for your majesty, for your splendor. Lord, thank you for loving us, for not giving up on us, Lord. But, oh, God, sending your Son to reconcile us unto you. We thank you for that. As the light has fallen for the preach of the Word of God, I'm asking for the unction, anointing, the empowerment of the Holy Ghost to rest upon us tonight. Anoint us to hear and to respond to the Word of God. And we'll forever give you the praise for all that you're going to do. In Jesus' name we pray it. And the church says amen. And amen. No doubt the central character of our story is a man by the name of Jacob. And where we find him in Genesis chapter number 32, he was a man in trouble. He was a man that had some problems. And, and that's what I like about men and women in Scripture is they are men and women just like me and you. They may not have the exact same problems that you and I had, or you and I have, 
But they had their share of problems. Moses had problems. David had problems. As a matter of fact, a third of the Psalms written in the book of Psalms were cries for help and distress in time of trouble. You feel oppression and depression coming upon you. Go to the book of Psalms because it's a perfect example of what to do when trouble comes. To cry out unto God. Jacob here is about to have an encounter with his brother. Esau, the same brother that he deceived and stole his blessing and birthright from some 20 years ago. He didn't know what Esau's intentions would be. As a matter of fact, his father told him at the time that he stole his blessing, he said, Esau wants to kill you. He said, get out of here, flee. Go to your Uncle Laban's house. Go to my family's house and sojourn there and dwell there until it's safe to come back. So that was Joseph's, or excuse me, that was Jacob's last interaction with his brother Esau. But now he's about to meet that same brother that he stole from about some 20 years ago. Jacob was at a point in time in his life where he had been blessed by men. He had been blessed by his father. He had been blessed by Laban. He had been blessed by other men at different points and times in his life. But he was a man that had never had a face-to-face -face encounter with God for himself. He knew about Abraham, his grandfather's encounters with God. He knew about his dad, Isaac's encounters with God. But Jacob never had that fresh encounter for himself. And there's, there's a lot to preach here and I can't get bogged down. But while the testimony of our forefathers are great, we can't live off of their testimonies. While we reverence and while we respect and while we hold in high esteem of what God has done for our forefathers, I've got to have God for myself. You've got to have God for yourself. The same way that they had encounters with God, you must have encounters with God. You're not going to be able to make it to heaven on grandma's coattail. Jacob's not going to be able to make it to heaven and to become the man of God that God desired for him to be. Amen. Based upon Abraham and Isaac's work. Jacob had to get a hold of God for himself. Amen. The Bible tells us that he left his wife and his kids. Because he realized that this battle was not theirs. But this battle was his. Listen, there comes a point in time in all of our lives where we reach this part. In this point where we must have a face to face encounter with God and we lay hold of Him for ourselves. Listen, I love my wife. Amen. I love my kids. I love my church members. But there's sometimes where I've, as we preached about Sunday night, I've got to withdraw myself and get along with God for myself. Amen. As much as we love corporate prayer and corporate worship, there's some things that can only be done in a prayer closet. Say amen, somebody. I mean, there's sometimes, I mean, where God ordains seasons to where it's just you and Him. And I can tell you that's often the times that the most spiritual growth and maturity take place when it's just you and Him. Listen, Moses never would have become the great man of God as long as he stayed at Pharaoh's house. 
He never would have been the great man of God if he would have stayed at Jethro's house in Midian. It took Moses climbing up a mountain and having a face-to-face encounter with God out of the bush that burned but was not consumed. Amen. Out of the bush that was consumed but did not burn up. It was in that time that God transformed his life and made him the man of God that he would desire him to be. It took Paul distancing himself for the space of three years. Amen. To be to become all that God would have him to be. So don't think in your life that there's not going to be times and seasons that God has ordained for you to withdraw to where it's just you and Him. Oh, hallelujah. To where you have a face-to-face encounter with God for yourself and you're made to realize who He is and what He desires to do in you. It happened for Jacob. It'll happen for us. He sent his wife. He sent his kids. He sent all of his belongings ahead of him. The Bible said he stayed back. And notice where he crossed. The Bible says that he crossed at the river Jabbok. Brother Eddie preached a message years ago that changed my life. On this passage of Scripture, the place of total surrender. And he preached on Jacob. I encourage you. The CD's back there somewhere. Find it. You'll be blessed for hearing it. But that river Jabbok, you know, people can just think that it's coincidental that things happen where they happen and when they happen, but there's no coincidences with God. He put all of this thing into motion and orchestration. But it was at the river Jabbok that Jacob crossed to go and have his encounter with God. The word Jabbok in the Hebrew tongue means a place of surrender. A place of emptying out. A place of draining. A place of death. The same way that there has to be and must be a time in our spiritual lives where we withdraw and have a face-to-face encounter with God. There must be a river Jabbok in our life that we cross over and we pour ourselves out. Amen. We pour all that we are out. All of our dreams, all of our goals, all of our ambitions, all of our desires, where we die to all that we are so that we can live in all that He is. There must be a place of surrender to where we quit chasing our own ambitious goals and we surrender to the will and the call of God. Jabbok is a physical place on a physical map. but We may not have to go there in the physical to get all that God would have us get, but there must be a spiritual Jabbok in our lives to where we pour ourselves out. God in turn pours Himself in and our lives are transformed and revolutionized by the power of Almighty God to where it's no longer I that liveth but it's Christ who lives in me to where we become like John the Baptist and say I must decrease so that he may increase in me. That my friend is the will of God for each and every born again man. It's not enough to just be born again and to have your name written in heaven. There must come a day when we surrender to the will of God on earth. And we pray the Lord, Lord, let Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Not just the physical earth, 
The Bible says from dust we are. From dust we're going to return. Oftentimes when you read of earth, it's speaking of man. Lord, let your will be done in me as it is in heaven. God, you've got a desire and a will and a plan for my life. Let that plan be done. I remember, I've not been saved but just a couple of weeks. My life had been all about sports. I played sports from the time that I could walk and run. I had a ball in my hand, whether it was football, baseball, basketball. I loved it all. Played all throughout teen, uh, kid years, teenage years. I got saved my, uh, going into my junior year of high school. And I, I will remember it well. Got home from camp. Saved, filled with the Holy Ghost. Seeking God, getting up early in the mornings, praying. Lord, let Your will be done in me. We started two-a-day football practice. Getting ready for the upcoming season. Before I ever stepped foot on the field, the Lord was dealing with my heart to lay it down. Put it up. To you, that might not mean a whole lot. But to me, that was my Calvary. To me, that was a moment of, of ultimate surrender. That's all I've known. And truth be known, that was my God for the first 16 years of my life. I didn't want to give it up. I loved the adrenaline. I loved running out of the tunnel. I loved, amen, uh, uh, playing. I loved being on the baseball field. That, that's what I loved. That's what I craved. Lord said, lay that down. I've got other plans for your life. I wish I had listened to Him the first time. Because I can tell you if God tells you something and you walk in rebellion, He's going to get your attention sooner or later. I'll never forget it. I, I continued on. I, I was not at the place where I was ready to surrender and ready to give it up. I went on, went through practice. First two or three days were fine. I'll never forget it. It was on a Thursday. We went through the first two-a-day practice before I ever left the house. The Lord said, give it up. Give it up. I've got something else in store for you. I want something more out of your life. Went to practice. was absolutely fine. I got home for, for practice and I was absolutely as sick as I had ever been. Dizzy. Blood pressure through the roof. Never had blood pressure issues or problems before. When I'm talking about high, it was stroke high. I want to say it was like 210 over 127, something along those lines to the point my dad had uh, just died not too long before, so my mom all of a sudden flips the lid. Get the car, we go into the hospital. Gets me down to the emergency room. And, uh, sitting there on a the table. They've uh, given me all kind of medicine and stuff to bring it down. They said, this is going to make you feel really bad, and this is going to bring you down really low. But it's what we're going to have to do to try to get your blood pressure down. I said, all right. And I guess I fell asleep on the table. And I, I heard people coming back and forth and talking and different things. And as sure as I heard the voice of God when He told me to put it down, I remember just as plain as day the Lord spoke to my heart and said, this would have been a whole lot easier if you had done things my way. 
This would be a whole lot easier if you had done things my way. I said, Lord, I, said, I don't know what you're doing in me. But Lord, I'll give it up. I don't know what your plan is, what your will is, but Lord, I surrender and I say yes. I don't know what the Lord was protecting me from. Maybe I was going to get out there and have a, an injury and be a paralytic. I, I don't know what God was keeping me from and preventing me from, but I, I learned as a, about a three-week-old babe in Christ that there comes a place of surrender for every one of us. There's a Ford Jabbock that if we're going to get anywhere in God, amen, we've got to surrender to the will and the call of God and the plan for His life. Amen. When you make up your mind and you lay hold on God, there must be a place of surrender and emptying out. There was in the life of Jacob and there will be in your life and in my life. So the Bible tells us in Genesis 32 and 24, and Jacob was left alone in that solitary place in that place of isolation that we talked about Sunday night. He was left alone and there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. There's two words that I want us to look at out of this verse of Scripture. Number one, the Bible says, a man appeared. There wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. This was not a normal man. This wasn't like me wrestling with one of the men of this church. If you look back at the Hebrew uh, definition and the Hebrew word for that man, or that word man, it's the Hebrew word ish. And it's used five times in Scripture. And on five different occasions, in all five instances, it refers to Jehovah God. So the man that was there, we don't know what he looked like, we don't know his physical appearance. But according, amen, to the, the Hebrew word that's only used to describe Jehovah. When Jacob crossed Jabbok, he began to wrestle with God. So that word man there is translated ish, which is Jehovah God. And secondly, the Bible says that he wrestled with him. That word wrestle means to lay hold or to grapple. It's not like uh, uh, the, the fake wrestling you have today, which you shouldn't be watching anyway. Say amen. At least I was told I shouldn't be. <laughs> it's not like jumping off the top rope and pulling off tables and chairs with all the nuts and bolts out of it and uh, uh, trying to create some theatric. It was not that type of wrestling match. But it was a wrestling match uh, where one man would lay hold onto the other uh, and would try to pin him down uh, and, and would try to, to lay hold of him uh, and would not let him go. Uh, when he saw this man, hallelujah, he was not content shaking his hand or giving him a high five. Uh, he wasn't content to just say, uh, there's something different about you. I've heard Abraham talk about you. I've heard Isaac talk about you. Amen. I, 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 he, he wasn't just content uh, is seeing the Lord of his fathers. But the Bible says when he saw him that he laid hold of him, that he grappled with him, that he began to wrestle. Jacob's mindset, amen, was something has got to change in my life. I can't live my life like this anymore. I've got to have my own encounter with this man. I've got to have my own encounter with the God of my fathers. Oh, when Jacob saw God, he didn't just shake his 
his hand and say, thank you, Lord, for your presence. But he laid hold of him and he said, I'm not going to let go until you bless me. You bless my grandfather Abraham. You bless my daddy Isaac. I've got to have the blessing of God. I've got to have your touch on my life. I can't live another day without it. I can't go another second without it. I've got to have the blessing of Almighty God. When he emptied himself out, he had an encounter with God and he began to lay hold onto him. This was not just a five-minute encounter. This wasn't just a few moments. Let's bask in his presence. There's nothing wrong with those times and moments in our lives when we just bask in the glory of God. But there's sometimes where we've got to get down to business with God. And we possess the same mentality. God, I'm not letting go until you bless me. I'm not letting go until something changes in my life. I'm tired of dead, dry religion. I'm tired of going through the motions of this life. I'm tired of just hearing about the testimony of yesteryears while I'm thankful, while I'm grateful for what you've done in the past. I've got to have you right now. You've got to be a reality in my life. And I'm going to lay hold on, on you until you touch me and until my life is changed. I can tell you there's not a lot of that in modern Christendom. There's not a lot of that mentality in the present day church. But as Jacob lay hold on God, the Bible says in verse number 25, this is God. When God saw that he prevailed not against him, this is the sovereign God of the universe. This is the God that spoke in the worlds coming to existence. The sun was hung, the moon, the stars, everything that is. All was a result of his words. But yet when he had this encounter with Jacob, Jacob began to lay hold on him. And the Bible says that God prevailed not against him. He prevailed not against him. There's a couple of things I want us to see. Number one, we can prevail with God. We can prevail with God. And number two, Think about it this way. It's the way God began to speak and deal with my heart. This is simple. But I believe theology is right. If God spoke and the world was formed, the sun appeared, the moon and the stars, don't you think he absolutely could have annihilated Jacob? He could have thumped him and he could fly past Pluto and Uranus in the solar system. If God wanted to, he could have obliterated this man. That lets me know one thing. God wants us to handle him. God wants us to touch him. God wants us to lay hold on him. Why else would it say in the book of Hebrews to come boldly to the throne of grace? Why else would it say in the book of Hebrews we have not a high priest that we cannot touch with the feelings of our infirmities. 
In other words, in simpler versions, that's the KJV version. I'll give you the Corey Brown version. We have a high priest that we can go to and touch. We have a high priest that we can go to and we can handle. We have a high priest that we can approach. And we, when we approach him, we can lunge at him and we can lay hold on him and not let him go. Oh, hallelujah. Islam does not offer that. Buddhism does not offer that. Confucius cannot offer that. Oh, but the God we serve, not only does he desire to be handled, but he gives us the invitation, come. What did Jesus say? Amen. After he ascended, the first thing he told was he said, don't touch me because I'm not yet ascended to my father. He had to go and he had to pass one final inspection. But when he came back down, when he appeared unto Doubting Thomas, he said, handle me. Put your hand in the nail scars. Put your hand in my side. I want you to touch me. I want you to lay, oh, I feel the Holy Ghost tonight. I want you to lay hold onto me. We serve a God tonight that desires for us to approach him and just like Jacob of old, lay hold of him and don't let him go until he touches our lives. Amen. 25, he saw that he prevailed not against him. He touched the hollow of his thigh. The Bible said Jacob's hollow of his thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him. Sometimes you've got to do, endure a little bit of pain. When you lay hold on God. Sometimes it's just a little talk with Jesus. That makes everything alright. Sometimes it's 40 days of fasting and praying. Before we get our answer. What's the difference between the two? How long we're willing to lay hold of Him. How long we're willing amen, to, to be in His presence. Modern Christendom, don't, don't tolerate the pain. If they don't give what they want in three minutes, they're done. They're used to a microwavable macaroni and cheese dinner at the altar. It's not there in three minutes. I'm on to something else. God help us. Jacob, he's wrestling with God, laying hold of him. His thighs out of joint. When the sun began to rise, Jacob said, God, I'm not letting go until you bless me. Jacob was willing to do whatever he had to do to receive a blessing from the Lord. What would happen if the church possessed that same mentality? Lord, I'm not quitting until I see revival. Lord, I'm not quitting. I've got a hold of you. I've got your attention, but I'm not going anywhere until you bless me. I'm not going anywhere until my family gets saved. I'm not going anywhere until I receive a miracle. Being like the uh, blind Bartimaeus as he was sitting beside the Jericho Road. Here's Jesus is coming by. Jesus, thy son of David, have mercy on me. 
The crowd said, son, hold your peace. Don't worry, Jesus. But he cried all the more, no. Amen. I'm here. I'm in his presence. This is my one shot. This is my one opportunity. I've tried everything man has to offer, but I'm still blind. I've tried every ophthalmologist and optometrist in town, but they've not done one thing. Amen. I've had salve rubbed on my eyes. Amen. I've done everything that I know to do. I've tried ointments. I've Try treatments. I'm gonna try Jesus. Amen. Just be quiet, Bartimaeus. This is my one shot. He cried all out all the more, Jesus, that son of David. And when he got into his presence, he didn't let Jesus go. And Jesus asked him, said, Son, what is it that thou would have? I believe at that moment in time he could have asked Jesus for absolutely everything because he had his attention. But he asked him for the one thing that was most important. Lord, that I may receive my sight. And immediately the scales fell from his eyes. And he left that day saying, why? Because he was willing to pay the price to get into his presence. And when he got into his presence, he would not let him go until he left changed. Jacob, not letting go till you bless me. When Jacob made up his mind, he was going to lay hold on God. And he followed through. There were three changes that immediately took place. I want to go through these very quickly. Number one, God changed Jacob. The first change that took place was in the life of Jacob. Listen, sometimes we lay hold of God and he changes our circumstances. But more times than not, when we lay hold on God, he changes us. He changes us. Jacob looked at him. God asked him, he said, what is thy name? And he said, Jacob. Again, simple, simplistic, small brain, Corey Brown. God spoke the sun, the moon, the stars, the world into existence. He could have thumped him into annihilation been the end of Jacob. Don't you think the sovereign, omnipotent, all-knowing, all-powerful God knew who he was wrestling with. God knew exactly who Jacob was, but yet God still has the question, what's your name? You see, God knew who Jacob was. He wanted Jacob to remember who he was. Son, what's your name? Jacob hung his head. You see, the name Jacob in the Hebrew tongue means deceiver. It's a planner conniver, manipulator. It was in the presence of Almighty God that Jacob realized just how low he was. That's what the presence of God does. And I know this cuts against the grain of all modern teaching. There was one that came out this week and said, when you get born again, Jesus doesn't change you. He just reveals who you already were. I can tell you that that's false theology burst straight out of the pit of hell. You must be born again. That man, who you were, must die so that Christ can live. I know this, this preaching goes against the grain. But in the presence of God, Jacob was made to realize just who and how low he was. Listen. Listen. 
when we get into the presence of a holy God, we realize as we testified about tonight that He's altogether higher than us. And we're altogether lower than He is. And there's nothing that a fallen man can do on his own to reach the platitudes or the highness of the presence of God. Isaiah teaches us this. In the book, Bible says, Isaiah chapter number 6, Isaiah went to the temple and he saw God high and lifted up, seated on his throne. The angels flew about the temple. Two that covered the face, two that covered the feet, with two they did fly, crying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And what was Isaiah's first words? Woe is me. When he saw the holiness and the splendor of God, he was made to realize just how low and rotten he really was. And Isaiah was a pretty good man. His uncle was a godly king. Though his end, he died a leper because he disobeyed the commandments of God. But Isaiah wasn't a heathen. Isaiah wasn't a reprobate. He went on to be a great prophet of God. But it wasn't until he realized how high and holy God was and how low he was. It took the angel of the Lord taking a coal off that altar and putting it to his lips, changing him and purging him from that sinful nature to become the mouthpiece and the trumpet and the instrument that God would have him be. Listen, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 1.29 that no flesh should glory in his presence. No flesh, no humanity, no self, no carnality can glory and bask in the presence of God. Amen. When we see God in his holiness, we realize just how low that we really are. Like Jacob, Isaiah found himself undone in the presence of God. But when they laid hold onto God, hallelujah. When they made up in their mind, I'm going to lay hold on him though. Isaiah was one that was fleshly. He, he realized that he was low on the totem pole. He was low in the presence of God. Jacob realized that he was a deceiver, a manipulator, a supplanter. When they made up their minds to lay hold on God, God both radically changed their lives. God will never leave a man in the same condition that he finds a man when they're willing to lay hold on him. Oh, hallelujah. It matters not your condition or how low you are. If you would just make up in your mind, I'm going to lay hold on God and follow through with that desire. God will change you like He did Isaiah. God will change you like He did Jacob. God will change you like He has numerous men and women throughout the centuries and the millennia. Oh, if we just make up in our mind to lay hold on God, He'll never leave us like He finds us. That day Jacob was changed forever. Jacob went from being burdened to being blessed. He was burdened by his situation, burdened by his family, burdened by his condition. But he carried that burden to the Lord. And he left blessed. Oh, hallelujah. Number, there were two things that changed in Jacob's life. Number one, he was changed spiritually. Jacob's name, uh, we've already said, supplanter, deceiver, manipulator. But he said, Jacob no longer... Is your name going to be Jacob? But it's going to be Israel. For thou hast prevailed. That word prevailed means to be an overcomer or a victor. Jacob went from being a deceiver and a manipulator to an overcomer and a victor. Listen, 
That's what the presence of God does in our lives. He will change you from the victim to the victor. He'll change you from the outcast, amen, to a new man or a new woman in the presence of Almighty God. Spiritually speaking, Jacob was changed that day. Changed from being what he was in the old man. All changed to the new man resurrected in the power, in the nature of God Almighty. And not only was he changed spiritually, but he was changed physically. Now I know, again, this isn't popular preaching. But when God saw that he prevailed not against Jacob, the Bible said that he touched the hollow of his thigh. And the hollow of his thigh was out of joint as he wrestled. But if we pick up in verse number 31, after the encounter with God, in verse 25, or excuse me, verse 31, and he passed over until Peniel. The sun rose upon him and he halted, or he limped upon his thigh. Therefore the children of Israel eat not the sinew or the shrink which is upon the hollow of the thigh under this day because he touched the hollow of Jacob's thigh in the sinew that shrank. For all of the days of his life, Jacob walked with a limp. Brother Eddie preached on that not too long ago. I wasn't here when he preached it. But crippled to be crowned. Crippled to be crowned. All of the rest of the days of his life. Walked with a limp. Somebody asked him, Jacob, how'd you get that limp? He said, oh, you ain't going to believe it. Really, man, what happened? Sit down, this may take a minute. He'd tell him the story about his encounter with God. And how God touched him physically. God touched him spiritually. And his life was forever changed. Listen, when God touches you, and you lay hold on Him, the world is always going to know that there's something different. When Moses ascended up to the Mount of God, the Bible says that His face glowed, just like the presence of God. As he, His face took on what He beheld, and His face glowed. And when He came down the mountain, the people told Him, you've got to put a veil over your face. We can't even stand to look at you because of the brightness of your countenance. But when they looked at Moses, they was able to tell something's different about him. Something's changed. You're not the same man that you used to be. Listen, when God, when you lay hold of God and He changes your life, people are going to notice. Amen. You might not walk with a physical limp, huh? but when you walk through Walmart, huh? amen, some of the people have come up to me in the past, no glory here, huh? but all glory in God, huh? and just say, there's something different about you. Huh? I, I can't put my finger on it, huh? but that there's just something, huh? amen, different. What is that? It's nothing me. Huh? No glory huh? is in this flesh, huh? and no flesh shall glory in His presence, huh? but it's what God has done. Huh? You'll carry yourself differently. Huh? You'll walk with the in your step and a praise on your lips when you're not moved by the same thing that the world is moved by when you're not drawn to the same filth that they're drawn to they'll take notice and they'll say I don't know what it is but there's just something different what happened God has got a mark placed on you you lay hold in your life and the world knows that your life has been touched and changed by the power of the spirit of God Jacob was changed spiritually. He was changed physically. Number two, I've got to hurry quickly. 
Not only did God change Jacob, but when Jacob laid hold on God, he also changed his family. You see, the last time we read of Jacob and Esau, Genesis 27, Esau hated Jacob, despised him because of the blessing wherewith his father blessed him. And Esau said in his heart, the days of mourning for my father are at hand. Then I'll slay my brother Jacob. He hated his brother so bad, he wanted to kill him. Verse number 42, and these are the words of Esau. Her elder son were told to Rebekah, and she sent and called Jacob her younger son and said unto him, Behold, thy brother Esau, as touching thee, doth comfort himself, purposing to kill thee. This man had a pretty sick mind. Not only did he despise his own brother, he wanted to kill his own brother, and he took comfort in the thought. I'm going to kill him. Sounds like a messed up mind. That's a mind depraved by the elements of hell. That's a fleshly mind. So Jacob, this was the last encounter that he had with Esau. But when God changed Jacob, he also changed Esau's heart. Because after the encounter in 32, in verse number 33, after... Jacob had the encounter with God. The first person he had an encounter with was Esau. And in verse number 1, And Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, Esau came, and with him four hundred men. And he divided into the children, into Leah and Rachel, into the two handmaids, and he put the handmaids and the children foremost, and Leah and her children after, and Rachel and Joseph hindermost. And he passed over before them and bowed himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. This man had no clue what his crazy brother was going to do. A man with a demented mind. A man who comforted himself with the thoughts of, I'm going to kill Jacob for what he stole from me. But when he bowed himself to the ground, the Bible says, verse 4, and Esau ran to him. Jacob's probably thinking, here it comes. Going to pull out a dagger under my, under my fifth rib. I wrestle with God all night. I'm going to live with Him forever right now. <laughs> it's it. It's over with. That's not how the story transpired. He ran to meet Him. He embraced Him. He fell on His neck and kissed Him. And they wept. See, not only did God change Jacob, God changed that evil, demented mind of a brother that he had. Which tells us that when you lay hold of God, not only can God change you, but God can change those around you. That family member you've been praying for, but the devil says they're never going to get saved. Lay hold of God. Believe God for it. Don't quit. Don't give up. Be like Jacob of old and say, I'm not letting go until you bless me. I'm not letting go, God, until they're saved. I'm not letting go until they come in the household of faith. 
I'm not letting go until they're saved, until they're sanctified, until they're filled with the Holy Ghost, until they're preaching your word. I'm not letting go until the devil's plan is thwarted and God's plan comes to fruition. I'm not letting go. It don't matter how bad that son is. It don't matter how much they despise you and your prayers. It don't matter how bad that daughter is. And you, the, the, the people said there's no hope for them. It don't matter what meth has done to their mind. It don't matter what alcohol has done to their body. It don't matter what drugs has done to their brain cells. Amen. Just lay hold of God and be like Jacob. I'm not letting go until you bless me. Because not only can God change Jacob, God can change Esau. It was just as big of a miracle even though it was not documented in Scriptures. It was just as much of a bona fide miracle what God did in the heart of Esau as it was in the heart of Jacob. Sent from wanting to murder him to kissing him and crying over him and embracing him. Some things only God can get the credit for. Dr. Phil can't do that. Oprah can't do that. All the psychiatrists in the world can't do that. When we went into Kenya, to Isiolo, just two weeks before they were, we were there, they were in civil war. The two tribes, uh, the uh, Turkanas and the Samburos, bodies were actually still laying on the ground beside the road that we walked down to go to the, the orphanage. Buzzards were flying over. I asked Brother Reuben, I said, what are these buzzers doing flying over? He said, you don't want to know. I said, yeah, I do I want to know. Told me the story. Civil War, one tribe invaded another tribe, stole their cows, and I believe killed 13 men. I was ready to catch the next plane back home. That was about as bad as the terrorist attack <laughs> the next trip I was there. But while we were there, the two tribes, different factions began to hear about the meeting. The Samburus came, sat on one side of the church. The Turkana came, sat on the other side of the church. When the governor of the province heard about it, he came and showed up. And he said, what did you do to bring these two tribes together? They hate each other. Two weeks ago, they were killing each other. And now they're here sitting in the same building. What did you do? The only response we had, that's the power of the gospel. He can take what was meant for evil and turn it around for his good. Jacob, not only can God change you, but he can change all of those around you. Zacchaeus, when he had his encounter, Jesus said, Zacchaeus, come down. I'm going to your house today. For as much as salvation is come to thine house. Not only did Zacchaeus receive a revival, his house received revival. God changed him that day. Amen. By the power of, the, uh, of his gospel. Kirsten, come help me. I'm done. I've got to shut up. Not only did God change Jacob, God changed his family. But God also changed future generations. This same man that was a supplanter, a deceiver, a manipulator, God changed him to Israel. And out of his loins, out of his bloodline, came the twelve the sons. His twelve sons became the heads of the twelve tribes of Israel. Out of his bloodline came Joseph and Mary. And Mary, through, through Mary's we know it was the carrier of the Messiah. 
When Jacob laid hold of God, it not only changed his future, it changed his family's future. It changed the future of the whole world. If Jacob hadn't got a hold of God, if Jacob hadn't been changed, his family wouldn't have been blessed, and that would have been some other bloodline by, by means of which the Messiah would come. But because Jacob laid hold on God, God intervened and God changed him. All of human history was altered by that prayer meeting. You never know the value or the power of your prayers. You don't. You see in part, you see your piece to the puzzle, what I'm facing right now. But God sees the whole jigsaw puzzle. God sees everything. And while you're like Jacob of old, I've got to have a change. I've got to have you do something. I've got to have a move of God. You never know what chain of events is going to transpire after you pray. Did you know that right now in heaven that prayers and tears are bottled up in the very throne room of God? You might not have gotten the answer yet that you hope for, that you want, or that you feel that it should get. But I promise you this, your prayers do not go unheard. And you do not know the power that is a result of your prayers. With Peter, or excuse me, with Timothy, when Paul said, I implore you to stir up the gift of God that's within you that I first saw in your grandmother Lois, in your mother Eunice, and now I'm persuaded is in thee also. Rewind about 40 years. Little old Lois goes down to the church house. She hears about this man called Jesus. She repents of her sins and cries out to God. We never read of her planting a church. We never read of her having a healing meeting and a crusade. We never read of her with a television ministry. We never read of her getting on a boat and, and going to Asia Minor or to, to Turkey or to uh, Rome to preach the gospel. No, we don't hear of that. As a matter of fact, we don't even hear of that in her, her daughter, Eunice. Simple ladies, simple prayers. But what we do read is Eunice's son, Lois's grandson, King Timothy, a great man of God that pastored the Ephesian church. The commentaries tell us ran some 10,000 people. Forty years before that, ever how long it was, Lois was just a common girl. But that prayer that night brought about generational change. It brought about a change that literally shook the world. Folks, you don't realize the power that's in your prayers. You don't realize. We just see one piece of the puzzle. God sees the entire puzzle. Amen. God changed Jacob, changed him, changed his family, changed human history. God changed Lois that night, born again, birthed in the kingdom of God, brought about generational change that shaped that part of the known world. 
My grandmother started playing curses, so I shut up. I'm done. My grandmother, back in the 1930s, maybe late 20s, early 30s, when the circuit rider preachers would come through on horseback, set up a brush harbor. She heard about the brush harbor being put up in Copeland. She went to the Methodist church. They were shouting Methodists. But she really wasn't living like she should live. She went down, said, told my great-grandpa, I'm going down to the preaching meeting. Going to find out what all the fuss is about. He looked at her and said, no, you're not. You ain't going down to that meeting and living under my roof. She said, yes, I am. She said, me and the kids are going down to the meeting tonight. He said, you go down to that meeting. You ain't living in my house. They're going to put some pixie dust on you. You're going to roll around in the floor. I'm not being associated with that. I can't stop you. But if you go, don't come back. She said, well, you can do what you want. Me and the kids are going. She stacked up her cop kids in a single file line and they walked down to the Brush Harbor meeting. Sure enough, God got a hold of her. She got saved. She came back home that night and guess what? The door was locked. He met her at the door and said, you ain't coming in my house. I told you if you went, you get mixed up with that crowd, you ain't living under my roof. She said, well, if you won't let me in, at least let the kids in. He said, I'll let the kids in, but you're sleeping on the porch. She stayed on the porch that night. Guess what? She got up the next day, went about her way. God saved her. She had a new song in her heart. Went back to the Holy Roller meeting the next night. I don't know how long that transpired. He felt sorry for her sooner or later. Let her come back in. You can pretty well guess the rest of the story. Sooner or later, he got saved too. My grandma was one of those kids walking in a single file line down to the Holy Roller meeting. They planted them a church. It became Copeland Assembly of God. My cousin, that encounter, my great-grandmother was saved. My grandma was saved. My mom was saved. And I stand before you, fourth-generation Christian today. By the grace of God. She didn't know when she's being locked out of her house and having to sleep on the porch. And her prayers were producing generational change. And four years later, amen, we're still holding on by the grace of God. It may be dark for you. You may be like Jacob. You don't know what to do. I can tell you there's but one answer. Lay hold of Him preaching to you tonight on laying hold of God. Laying hold until He changes you. Laying hold until He changes your family. Laying hold, amen, until He changes the world. You say, He can't do that in me. Don't you be foolish enough to limit God. Don't you be foolish enough to say, God can't do it in me. Because the same way God did it in Jacob, God can do it for you. We're going into a week of camp meeting. I'm closing with this. Stand with me all over the building. I'm done. But I wonder if we as a church could make up in our minds to lay hold of Him and not to let Him go. Lay hold of Him this week. Amen. And just 
Say, God, whatever it takes, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to touch you. And I'm not letting go until you bless me. I'm not letting go, God, until you change me. I'm not letting go until prayers are answered. I'm not letting go, God, until these circumstances and these situations change. If we'll follow through, God will change you. God will change your circumstances. Amen. And God will change those around you. Amen. I believe, I believe in God for, for great things this week. But I can tell you it's not going to come until unless we lay hold of Him. It's not going to come unless we uh, refuse. Grab Him. Hold on to Him and refuse to let go. Amen. Until the blessings of God flow. Amen. I wonder if we could tonight. Amen. If we could. If you would meet me in this altar for a few moments. Amen. The journey begins tonight with a step. It begins tonight with a decision. Amen. But it's going to take implementation throughout the next several days. Amen. You're going to be tired in your body next week and can't meet. And should I go or should I stay? Go. Amen. Push through. Lay hold of Him. Amen. And you'll find out that it's worth it every time that you lay hold of Him. Amen. I want you to come find us a place to pray tonight. Amen. Let us come. Let us begin this journey of laying hold of Christ. Amen. Let's, the journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. If you take one step toward God, amen, draw nigh unto Him, He will draw nigh unto you. Hallelujah. Let's pray together tonight.